0: Welcome to the Cross to Crown Podcast, where we keep the system out of theology, and the baby out of the bathwater. We keep the text in its context, and the new in the New Covenant. Our mission is to help you live intentionally, Christ-obsessed in all things.
1: everyone and welcome to the cross to crown podcast this is episode 27 we are going to be doing a question and answer episode around two and uh i was again this is called uh grill doug day so (laughs) (laughs) all the pressure is off of me um doug is a a veteran of these type of things as he does stump the pastor at his own church so we have no guilt in trying to pelt him as hard as possible with difficult questions. <laughs> Put him on the spot. So uh, if he answers in a way that, that doesn't seem uh, kosher to you, you are more than welcome to uh, send emails my way, and I will forward them to him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Does that sound fair, Doug? Sounds fair. You know, my uh, my kids were came in from a youth a meeting last night. And uh, one of our seminary students uh, is teaching the, uh, the kids right now. And he said, at one point, this girl asked a question, and he answered it for like seven minutes, but didn't really answer. I thought, ah, he's learning. Very good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a hallmark of politics. Maybe he should go into politics. <laughs> that's right. You know, uh, it, it's, it's, you know and that's, there's a skill to that, I think. Uh-huh. There's a skill to that to where you have to go a certain length of time and you have to gradually lead someone away from their question far enough, but just so they don't notice as well. So that by the time you're done with that, someone the, the person who asked the question is going, "I'm not sure if he answered my question or not." Right. And you had to go back and listen to it on audio or something, to try to figure it out if they did or not. So there's a yeah. skill to that.
0: <laughs> well, and I don't employ that particular technique, but I will. I have on occasion asked the questioner to repeat the question yeah. just to give me another second to uh, right. to think through the answer.
1: Right. I don't know if you've ever listened to um um our brother uh, um uh, Jeff Volker much. He is uh when he preaches I even mean, he does this, he does the, the Socratic method where he and you saw him at Porchcon actually where he he'll he'll speak for a little bit and then he'll stop and ask questions. That man uh he's he's got a good wit to him because usually when after someone asks a question the first response is a is a joke or one-liner. And they're all different, it seems like, all the time. Like, you never use the same one over and over again. So, and I think, I'm wondering, is that a stall tactic? <laughs>
0: <Right>. <laughs>
1: Formulate the answer,
0: yeah. Right, right. Or if it's a
1: difficult question, I can see how that would that would soften somebody to to receive hmm. something they may not be ready or, or happy about receiving. So, uh, good good tactic there. Humor is a good thing, I think. Um, not often uh, used well enough, but uh, or as often as it should be. But uh, anyway, so we're we're gonna hit into this right here. How's your week going?
0: It's going well. I uh, before I logged on with you here. I went to the dentist. Uh, oh. My favorite, <laughs> uh, my favorite occurrence twice a year. Yes. Uh, so I'm uh, thankfully I didn't have any work done where they had to stick the needle in and dead anything because then I'd probably have drool, you know, dripping down my chin here. Um, yeah. So that uh, highlight of my day so far. Uh, the week's been good. We got some snow over the weekend and I thought we were going to cancel services but we didn't have to. Had a lower huh. attendance but uh, a good good day of worship. I haven't been uh, in the pulpit in over a, in, in a month because of the different conferences we've been All doing right. and retreats so it was good to be back and preach uh, going through the gospel of John. Uh it is just so rich. So mm-hmm. the first time I've ever taught through John. Okay. I've taught little, you know, sections here and there but to walk uh, paragraph by paragraph, and John is uh, so so rich, so wonderful, so.
1: What okay, so um, I, I I think that any pastor who's been in a pulpit long enough typically gets to John. What uh, some what are some commentaries that you would recommend that have been most valuable to you? I mean, we always we've talked before that commentaries are not the first place you're going to go to.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but when you do, where 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 what are what are you looking at right now?
0: Yeah, D. A. Carson, uh, he's he's the expert on John. You know, he's yeah, done. Yeah. Just so much work on John, and uh, and he's very very helpful. Um, uh, I actually am using the NET Bible Notes. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with NET? The New Year's yeah, Translation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's just a wealth of good manuscript evidence, mm-hmm. and they 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 do a great job of just kind of highlighting some of the key grammatical things, or or other uh, language things, uh, or historical things that I, that are very helpful. So I I keep that open and walk through it. And then the uh, the Zondervan, NIV Zondervan Study Bible, yeah, which yeah. Uh, I know Carson was an editor and such. Uh, it's really the, the only, that I'm aware of, the only biblical theology commentary that really yeah. is looking at, at what, how we would approach Scripture. So I, I will glance at that and see if there's anything. The way I use commentaries is uh, I do all my study. Mm-hmm. Translation, exegesis, uh, really get the whole sermon in my mm. head as far as the content, knowing the passage. And then I'll go look at a couple of these just to say, do they bring out anything that I didn't see or okay. that's strongly different from where I'm coming from? Because then I think, whoa, you know, if somebody like Carson sees something there that I didn't or disagrees with where I'm going, I want to know that. What am okay. I missing? Or you know, occasionally I'll say, OK, I think I'm right and he's wrong, which mm-hmm. um, is never fun to disagree with D.A. Carson but yeah, that's typically how I use uh, commentaries. But the, Carson is probably the main one. Um, in fact, he's, he's really the only one I, I look at besides the NET and the, uh, the Zondervan Bible.
1: Yeah. Well, he's the editor for the Zondervan, um, which actually uh, nowadays it's, it's known as the um, NIB Biblical Theology Study Bible.
0: Yeah, oh, that's right. Change, you mentioned this, they changed they the name. changed the yeah. name, yeah.
1: Think, and they changed the name, and you can now get it in the nice cover <laughs> <laughs> for cheaper, I think. But uh, yeah, that thing is is a. I think it's the same. I think it's the same notes and and resources in it as that's, that's in the uh, older version. But um, yeah, I've got that actually on a on a Ticarta Bible app, and uh, uh, I can switch. What's neat about that app is I can switch translation So I can write. I can listen. I can read it the csb and have those, those notes actually on the side of it uh and if i do it on the computer i can actually pull up several different bible study uh or study bible notes and commentary notes right on the side of whatever translation i want so it's nice like that but uh um yeah but that that that's a, that is a that's a in it as far as its size that's a big monster there the monster, that, that, yeah that's huge huge yeah. brick so Yeah.
0: Hey, you'd be yeah. proud of my daughter. I thought of you the other day. Um she opens this package and uh there's a brand spanking new at a greenish colored Bible, HCSB, Bible Gateway had a sale a couple weeks ago, 5 bucks for these uh for yes. these Bibles and and I thought, "Oh, Chris would be happy to know she got the H, H- she got the original, the HCSB." <laughs> yes, yes.
1: <laughs> and there's a lot to love about the original. A lot yes. to love about it. Yeah. It's it's um yeah, yeah. Had they not come out with a this CSB, I would still be using the Holman Christian One of the main reasons I'm I would I've I've gone to the CSB rather than stay with the Holman is because the Holman eventually will become extinct. Um, uh, they're not printing it anymore. Um, you're finding them at discount places now because they're trying to empty their shelves. Um, but uh, yeah, so so but but it's a again I w- would love to see a revision of the CSB. To put some of the stuff back in that the CS, right. the, the Holman had in there. Uh, so, hey, did you see the uh, little uh, meme that was done on Bible translations with Star Wars?
0: Yes. Yes.
1: <laughs> so That's CSB funny. or Holman is the the mace Windu of the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> right. I liked I liked good. it how they did that. So, all right, so let's let's get some questions in. All right, are you ready? Right, you got your, I'm you got ready. Your got my coffee. Spirituals theological thinking cap on got your coffee so hey by the way i don't know if i ever asked you uh, what what brand of coffee do you drink
0: oh we have a local roaster here in colorado springs uh when we installed our coffee coffee bar if you will at uh, at church uh the guy who was my executive director his wife had worked at starbucks for several years so she knew the ins and outs of uh doing Mm -hmm. good coffee but we none of us liked Starbucks uh, as right. our as our default, so they uh, brought in. I think we sampled 15 different roasters here in Colorado <laughs> Springs, uh, and picked found one that we loved. So it's a it's a local place here called um, Spanish Peaks is the name of the uh, roaster.
1: Spanish Peaks. Okay, so you got a coffee bar in your, at your church and everything. So so uh, yeah,
0: guys, Yes, yeah. So we're selling uh, selling in the temple. Yep.
1: Now so okay so, uh, do you guys have a name for your coffee bar? we do what is it called do you
0: think you know holy grounds no 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 <laughs> uh kaleo coffee okay the Greek word leo yes right right
1: okay i'm just saying because i think at least half of the churches that have a little coffee shop thing going on they've named it holy grounds
0: yes so <laughs> sometimes solid ground yeah right yep. right so right. we decided um Kaleo means to, to call or to summon right. and I uh, thought oh it's the gathering place the summoning place yeah. and it, and the nice alliteration kaleo coffee that works yeah. so
1: yeah uh, i like it i like it It works <laughs> now, my favorite actually is um uh, you probably heard it or seen it if you if you're on the internet and you like coffee cuz they're they're agile and everywhere now uh, it's the black rifle coffee company uh huh yeah they make it's some good? good stuff yeah oh it's a uh, veteran owned um some guys who were in special ops got out of the military they got an interesting story about how they started this whole thing back in the military uh with coffee and uh they just they're crazy guys um and uh they make good coffee so mm, the names of the coffee brands aren't the the most spiritual
0: but, <laughs> but the coffee's good so <laughs> what's the uh Expense compared to Starbucks, for instance,
1: uh, you're looking at anywhere from 12 to 15 for for a bag of coffee okay. um, That's and, a pound uh, probably. Yeah, yeah, so it's 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 a little cheaper than some other uh, the, the Starbucks and um, They're pretty good about you know, you order it you get it like in a few days right away. So um, it's all fresh and everything so good stuff good stuff and um, I'm loaded up on coffee, as you may be able to tell, as we've talked, I think, for <laughs> half an hour before we even get started and talked about all kinds of wild things, and I've gone down trails, so I'm going to get ready to pelt you with some questions to let you do some talking on this for a minute. All right. All right, All the first question we got, some of these questions are from leftover from the last time we did it, and other ones are are, are new. Um, there's a wide variety from theological, biblical, pastoral, um, so, so you're going to get hit with a lot of different stuff. All right, so here's the first question, Doug, is does NCT believe that the church, uh, i.e., the Lord Jesus Christ and all those with faith in Christ, including saints in the Old Covenant era, fulfill and replace Israel, i.e., the old physical nation of Israel, which apparently was uh, disestablished in AD seventy. Question mark Thanks.
0: <laughs> okay, you're gonna have to read that again. Okay, does
1: does, does the new covenant? I'm gonna I'm gonna I'll I'll leave out the uh, parentheses and the the IEs. Um Does the new covenant does NCT believe that the church uh, fulfills and replaces Israel? Thanks. <laughs> it's shorter, much shorter without the, all the IEs So yes. does, does the church? Um, and, and he includes also with that the old covenant era believers. Does that fulfill or replace the old physical nation of Israel, which he says was uh, apparently disestablished in, in or deestablished in uh, AD seventy? And we've talked a little bit about this before, so we could probably go through this pretty quickly. Um, did did the New Covenant Church
0: replace Israel? Yes. Okay. Yes, and there's probably a a little bit of qualification worthy mm-hmm. here not in the sense of plan a and plan b not in the sense of god was doing his thing with israel and it decided that didn't work and so he replaced israel with the church it was always his plan Um, but the way i like to look at it more so than simple replacement because that again that it's hard to it's hard to think of those terms without thinking, okay, this, oh, that didn't work, replace it with this. Right. But more, this was always the plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Israel was a picture of what God was always going to do with Christ and the Church. Uh, I, I would start by saying Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of Israel. Uh, in the Servant Songs in Isaiah, yeah. Jesus is called Israel. He is the, the second Israel, the new Israel, the fulfillment of everything that Israel was. And now that we are in Christ being the body of Christ, then by extension, we are also the fulfillment. We are the true Israel. We were everything Israel was intended to portray. Uh, and then, of course, the law was given to uh, to expose sin of Israel and show them the need of the Savior, and, uh, and that is a picture for us as well. But the short answer is yes, uh, the church, Christians, we are the fulfillment of God's plan and purposes for Israel, including the land the the descendants mm-hmm. seed of abraham all of those kind of things
1: yeah um, and we would probably refer everybody to uh, blake white's book on this um, right. the, god's the, chosen people yeah Excellent. yeah i mean it's it's fantastic um good read good read he calls he likes to i think he's trying to avoid the word replacement theology because mm-hmm. of the bad rap that it's gotten in um and, and and misunderstanding or or some people who hold to it did give it a bad name um for because of other things they believed in. But uh, he likes the term inclusion theology, which which I think is great too, uh, or fulfillment. I like fulfillment too. Uh, that's a, right. that's a good that's, and that's a good the term word. I would use, yeah, yeah, yeah. so now Jesus
0: did say, Jesus told the Pharisees, uh, the kingdom will be taken away mm-hmm. from you and mm-hmm. given to uh, another people. So that's at mm-hmm. least in ballpark of replacement. So the yeah, idea of right. replacement, we can't just ignore that altogether, but it does connote some bad things. Fulfillment is much better. Fulfillment theology is, it's what, uh, what God's plan was all all along.
1: Right. Right. I agree. Yes. I I agree.
0: Uh, God's chosen people. You can get it on amazon.com by Blake white. Fantastic book.
1: Yep. And we'll include a link to that book in the show notes in case you don't want to search for it. I'll let you just click on it and you can get it and order it right there. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) And that's, uh, from right. That's in Kindle too, right? Mm -hmm. Hard copy in Kindle. So there you go. Next question. It's a biblical theology question. Um, If Jesus took God's wrath on the cross before he died, then why did he die? If his death was for us, then why do believers die?
0: Yeah, very good question. I like to ask this of some of my students at times to uh, get them to wrestle with this. The, The punishment for Adam's sin was death. And I'm persuaded, and I know that not all are persuaded of this, but I'm persuaded what God meant primarily was physical death. On the day you eat of that fruit, of that fruit, you will die physically. Mm. I don't believe the primary intent of that was spiritual death or separation from God. I think they would have understood it. Uh, Adam and Eve would have understood it. And uh, that, that's just the natural reading is you're going you're gonna to not live anymore. So what, what do we do with that? He didn't die. But some living creature died. Remember, they sewed fig leaves together and hid (laughs) themselves. And God said, nope, that's not good enough. And he made for them animal skins. Uh, uh, Where do you get animal skins? You get them from animals, right? So an animal died. What animal died to cover them? I put my money on a lamb. I can't prove that. (laughs) But it makes the most sense to me that there was the first type or foreshadowing of Jesus was this animal dying so that Adam and Eve could be covered in their sin so in that sense I would say God showed mercy to Adam he didn't kill him he substituted an animal in his place and but eventually he did die Uh, and Jesus died and we die. which which is the heart of the question here Um, there is a point once for man to die and then judgment and that still stands, right? We are all going to stand before God at judgment. So, there, the the already not yet, the promise fulfillment idea here is uh, the we still will die because we're the descendants of Adam. But Jesus defeated death and rose again, so we rise with Him. Uh, in our, in His case, it was um, uh, physical death and then spiritual death. I would say. Because he did then se- separate from God, and he his heart was turned. We are born with the spiritual death, and then we die physically. And the the redemption of that happens in that order. We are called to life spiritually, and then we will be called back to life physically in the in the new heaven and new earth in the resurrection body and all of that. Uh, and that just is the way this this is played out. So um, we still die. Jesus died, but we don't stay dead because Jesus conquered death. That's, that's what makes most sense in, in the flow of the story to me.
1: Okay. We get a, another question I think that's going to come up that uh, is something similar to that. We'll know it when we get to it. Um, did, did, uh, Old Testament, here's a good one. Did Old Testament saints go to heaven when they died? Mm. And do unbelievers go to—this is the second part—do unbelievers go to hell right away when they die and await judgment?
0: Yeah. Uh, again, these are these are fun questions. Uh, these guys should come to my seminary because we deal with this stuff. Um, so the way it's, the, and again, so many of these things were left to draw from different texts to say, uh, how do we put this together? Because the scripture doesn't just lay this, some of these things out and say, here, here's how this works. But what makes m- most sense to me biblically is that uh, Sheol, the Old Testament uh, word, the, the Hebrew word for the, the grave and the place of the dead, corresponds to the Greek word Hades. Those to- both refer to the same, same thing. And it, it appears to me that everyone prior to Christ died and went to Sheol or Hades, and that there was a, a division in Hades. Uh, I believe this is alluded to in uh, in the in the story that Jesus tells of the rich man and Lazarus. Right. I don't believe that is describing hell. I believe that's describing Hades, mm-hmm. which is the whole the place of the dead. And so both uh, saints and non-saints before Christ went to Hades, but there was a a uh, Abraham's bosom, which right. would have been the 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 non-torturous part of Hades. And then there was the other where there was torment. There was uh, that's where the rich man would have been in, in the story. I think when uh, when Samuel is called up mm. uh, by the the witch, mm-hmm. I believe that's what he's referring to. He's asleep. He's in this this holding place, and then he's like, "Why why'd you rile me? Why would you call me out?" So they're in that place, uh, uh, waiting uh, for the uh, the coming of Christ. And the reason that I believe that, I'll just. Do you hear the pages? I'm flipping through my... Yeah, real page. one. <laughs> real Bible. My, uh, <laughs> Bible In Hebrews, there's a fascinating statement uh, at the end of chapter 11. So chapter 11, you know, the, the Hall of Faith is as it's mm-hmm. sometimes referred to, all these faithful men and women, uh, men of whom the world is not worthy. After describing all of these faithful people, uh, the writer says in verse 39, and all these... So all the folks he just talked about, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us. The us he's talking about is, is his generation and beyond, but certainly includes that first century group. So all those who, does, who died before Christ, they were approved because of their faith or faithfulness, but they didn't receive the promise. They didn't receive eternal life. The, the inheritance, that's been the, the context. Because God had provided something better for us, if you think back to the first century, therefore, He's saying we, uh, say, Paul generation, if, if Paul wrote Hebrews or whatever, but that group, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Uh, scripturally speaking, the New Testament perfect does not mean righteous. Uh, perfect means reaching the goal. It's a telos word. It's from the telos family of Greek words. It means you've achieved the, the intended goal. Now, many times, including in Hebrews, the intended goal is righteousness. Um, but that's not the context here of Hebrews... 10 11 12 it's the inheritance it's that that new experience with christ in the in heaven what we would call heaven so putting this all together what i think is going on and again i don't have time to lay this all out but that's at least one verse to to kind of draw this from what i think is going on in in the old covenant there before christ i should say everybody who died goes to hades two compartments the uh, non-tormentous place and the tormentous place when jesus died and rose again and went to heaven he took with him Everyone who is in Mm -hmm. Abraham's bosom. So it emptied out. There's no one left there. So the saints, prior to his coming, went to heaven at that point. Now I believe every Christian who dies goes to heaven. Because you have Paul saying to be absent from the bodies, to be with the Lord, and all the other passages that that indicate the fact that we go be with him. I think that unbelievers who die go to that holding place in Hades, where they will be raised on the last day to face judgment. Okay. So that's that's what makes most sense to me. You know, we have that fascinating passage in Matthew 27 mm-hmm. where people walked up, dead people started yeah. walking around and right. interacting with people. I think those were saints in Abraham's bosom who now are walking around and hanging out and then they went up with Jesus. I would say they they couldn't have been in their resurrection body yet because mm-hmm. that's a uh, future, but somehow they were still uh, recognizable as humans, and and they went up with Jesus.
1: I would I would suspect that they were um, probably recently deceased, um, or uh, something happened with the the reanimation of their body, um, to, to in order to <laughs> to be able to walk around and be recognized rather yeah, than just a bunch of skeletons walking around. <laughs> yeah, zombies.
0: Yeah. yeah, zombies. Something new, right? <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean that's that's always been that's always there's There's things like that in this in the scriptures that that uh, you know the Bible doesn't give us full details about. and I, I can't wait to to find out more information about yeah the, the you know, what was your reaction when you saw this guy get up out of the grave and start walking right. around after Christ, you know, was resurrected or was went went to the grave? and um yeah, just just some interesting things um, that that, that go. so so you believe that an unbeliever now, they don't go directly to hell, although that's the uh, destination A will arrive at, but they go to um, to the the, um, the 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 segregated part of uh, one part would be Abraham's bosom, other would be Sheol, um, where there there's there's some still torment there going on there, as in what, what Jesus described with uh, the rich man and Lazarus, with with him being in in pain and agony. So then the thought is is if that's if that's bad. <laughs> right. Hell is going to be uh, tremendously worse, um, right. for, and that's an eternal punishment. Um, just, just, uh, yeah, should, 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 uh, yeah. That's that's not a good thought.
0: Yeah, and um, I should hasten to add: this is not a correlation with purgatory in any sense. Right. It's nothing like that. Right. Uh, but if if I'm right about the rich man of Lazarus, that story, then the the rich man is being tormented. Right? He's saying, "Could you just give me one little drop of water? It would be soothing." And like you said, if that's the holding place for unbelievers, uh, where they spend eternity, is, it's unfathomable to think about how awful that's going to be.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you believe that um, uh, the rich man and uh, Lazarus were, were real people that he was talking about? Or do you think, you just on a side note, do you think they were real people or people that he was using, you know, making an illustration out of, out of them and using truths about the afterlife?
0: Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, I tend to lean toward it being more of a parable mm-hmm. than, uh, than actual human figures, but I could be persuaded the other way. Right. It's not a – I don't know for sure. Right.
1: Yeah, I, I, would, agree, I would agree there too. I, I've held both sides I think at various times, and I've come down to I'm, I'm not sure it actually matters. Yeah, right. the, tr- the truth is, is still what it is, and uh, uh, whether or not they're real people uh, or, or um, uh, illustrations of real people Exactly, because that's the point. It's this we're talking about: real people, a real place, a real destination, um, a real truth. All right, let's go on. Um, so, uh, in what's oh, here's this goes along with the cross situation uh, we talked about earlier. Uh, why did Jesus die? Here's an interesting one about the cross as well. In what sense was Jesus forsaken by the Father on the cross?
0: Yeah, it. Uh, it appears as though he is uh, forsaken like someone sent to hell. Uh, in that moment, uh, the, the way the narrative plays out, darkness comes, you know, it's, it's high noon, it's, it's the middle of the day, and yet it's apparently pitch, pitch black for three hours. If you trace darkness through the Old Testament, so often it is the sign of God's judgment. Right. You know, the day of God's wrath on this nation or that nation, he says, is a day of great darkness, a day of gloom, that kind of thing. So there's no accident that it was dark that day, which symbolizes God's judgment being poured out on this nation, or in this case, on this person, because He has all of our sin on Him. And so whatever the experience of hell is, where God forsakes, he 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 turns his back on unbelievers. Mm-hmm. It, it seems like Jesus had to have suffered all of that because he was carrying your sin and my sin and all the other sins of believers. and and the father is is repulsed by him. He can't even look at him. Mm-hmm. Of course, he cries out, quoting psalm twenty two and if you if you read psalm twenty two mm-hmm. uh, and and you picture Jesus thinking these things from the cross, it's a it is very much like this very close intimate loving relationship that now is severed where the father says i can't even look at you i'm so repulsed by your wickedness uh-huh. which obviously is not jesus's inherent wickedness but he's wicked because he has our sins right. imputed to him and and god looks at him uh, like that so and and that I don't know if you're going to ask a follow-up question here, but I I don't begin I don't begin to know how to comprehend this. How does mm-hmm. the eternal Father, eternal Son, how does that relationship broken right. even for three hours? But that is the the story that's portrayed there.
1: And we would say that it's a relational forsakenness, um, and not a um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It wouldn't be physical, but um, uh, Jesus in his being didn't separate from the the, the Godhead that he became um, uh, that the 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 father separated his being from Jesus
0: yeah uh, you know we're those kind of questions are right. just how how do we even begin to comprehend <laughs> that answer that even contemplate the question uh, again the way the story is portrayed here is we have Jesus of Nazareth who is human mm-hmm. being forsaken right. by God. Mm. Uh, what's happening in the divine per- the, the divine nature of the Son of God? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Uh, again, that the hypostatic union, the whole relationship between one person, the Son of God, right. having a divine nature and a human nature, how does that even work? I don't know. I believe it's true, but I don't mm-hmm. know how it right. works. And is God the Father pouring out His wrath on both natures of the Son? I, I don't know exactly. So that question... Yes, we would never say that God can stop being God. Mm-hmm. So we would not want to say that even the second person, of the Trinity, abandoned His deity. But again, we're just—we we, got to be careful not ask questions that the Bible is not intending to answer.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, let me let me go back real quick to um, um, the Sheol question, um, and I I can't remember the history much of it, but um, in the Apostles' Creed, the original Apostles' Creed didn't include the line. Um, that he descended into Hades uh, and then later on it, it did appear uh, and that he, if I remember I'm, I'm fuzzy on it, that he went down there and he preached to the, the angels spirits right, of prison. okay, right. Do you see that as um, uh, what they may have been considering and thinking of is that he went to uh, Abraham's bosom and proclaimed good news and, and led the captives from there.
0: Uh, absolutely. Yeah, that's okay. the clearest passage in the in New Testament, First uh, Peter 3 there, which uh, I don't know if you want to get into, and I don't know if we have time to, because uh, I kind of want to walk through the text if we were going to, but the short answer is, mm-hmm. I think what Peter is saying there is, Jesus did go to Hades, mm-hmm. not to proclaim good news to the saints, but to actually okay. pr- pronounce triumph over the fallen angels who had uh, committed sin back in Noah's day. Uh, it's a fascinating passage to walk through, uh, but so what we hear is it, it says in many translations he went and preached to those spirits in prison, mm-hmm. and everyone assumes preach means preach good news. I don't think so. I think mm-hmm. he went there to proclaim, "I win. I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm mm-hmm. the king. You guys lose." So sometime we can walk through that whole text if you want. Yeah, to that'd be great. Fascinating.
1: That'd be great. That'd be great. We'll have to do um, like a, a series on death and spiritual realities or something. I don't know. The angels, demons. Uh, we'll, we'll, do something. We'll wrap it all in there. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's go to, uh, we're switching gears here. Now we're going to go to, uh, church government. It looks like, um, what, uh, now you, you just, in case everybody doesn't know, you go to, uh, your pastor, Front Range Alliance Church, and what's the makeup? You guys have elders there. Are you guys elder ruled or elder led? Because the question is, is should the church be elder ruled, elder led, um slash with congregational consensus or congregation votes on everything and the pastor is just one of many in the congregation type thing
0: yeah it's a good question uh an important question uh, especially since there are so many different uh church leadership makeups uh again we are not given all the ins and outs of this uh, the, the lord jesus did not lay out a blueprint and say this is how every church governance authority should operate uh, not even every letter to every church, you know, speaks of eldership, for instance, and, and how to do this. So we're, we're left to put together some principles and, and make decisions. We have uh, some occasions where congregations uh, vote. Uh, you think of the uh, church discipline, Matthew 18... Take the man, go go approach him, take somebody with you, and then if he won't listen to you, then take him to the whole church. And if he won't listen to the entire church, uh, then he's to be treated as an unbeliever. So that's, that's the church doing something. When Paul writes to church at Corinth, and they're tolerating this man who's uh, sleeping with his father's wife, uh, he doesn't just say, hey, elders or pastors, you should have done something. The assumption seems to be the entire church should have been uh, acting to get this man out of there and, and remove the, un, the the leaven. So uh, there are certainly some things that the, the church should be involved in. At the same time, we have uh, instructions to elders in uh, in the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3. Uh, he uses a word, uh, manage your household. If you can't manage your household, then how can you manage the church of, of God? And that word manage is a a word of authority, like the head of household, like I'm the head of my whole household, (laughs) head of my wife, head of my children. Uh, So there's some analogy there to my role as an elder over the church, uh, similar to my role over my family. Um, The very words bishop, uh, episcopus, overseer, as it's often translated, and shepherd also connote authority and and leadership decision-making authority. Uh, so, what do we do with that? At, at what point do uh, do we decide who can do what? So, uh, what what seems most consistent to me is um, yes, elders. And, and by the way, I believe biblically, elder, pastor, shepherd, mm-hmm. overseer, those all refer to the same person. Right, right. In our church, those of us who are full-time elders, we we have the title pastor all the other elders are called elders. I don't love that. I don't, I'd be, I would love for us all to be called the same thing. Mm-hmm. But, and we tried that and I pushed that and it just <laughs> didn't go over. You know, the tradition is hard to break. A, yeah, right. Right. So, uh, so all of our pastors, we have thir- uh, 14 now elders, pastors, and, uh, and our, uh, we, we exercise spiritual authority over the church. When it comes to things like the more corporate aspects, the, the trellis, the, the, the physical, mm-hmm. Buying property, selling property, uh, raising money, and and budget things that impact the entire church at a at a not, sort of a, a not spiritual level those all those decisions are made by the congregation. Mm-hmm. So we as elders do not have the authority to bind the body to a new piece of property right. or to a budget. The the, mm-hmm. the church has to vote on the approve the budget, which which makes sense. You know, every time that mm-hmm. we have the meeting, congregational meeting, and and approve the budget, I remind our people. Uh, this is not my budget as a pastor. This is not our budget as elders. This is our budget as the congregation. You are agreeing to give this much money to help us do what, what we are doing. So I think there are some things that ought to be congregational, some things that ought to be elder, especially the spiritual, theological, biblical things that our elders have that authority and church discipline, at least in terms of maybe not not gross, heinous sin like a Matthew 18, but uh, ongoing discipleship is what I mean. That's the elder's responsibility for sure. And then very practically speaking, and I think we talked about this in a previous episode, it's just efficient to delegate certain decision-making day-to-day operations to someone like me, the mm-hmm. senior leader, uh, but that's not a spiritual authority. That's just an efficient Sort of get the, the the corporate things done. Right, right.
1: You you got fourteen elders. What's do you do you know what the ratio is between uh, elders and, and members?
0: Uh, well, we can figure it out. We have about five sixty or so members. Um, so, what is that divided by fourteen? I don't. Do I'm a musician, not
1: a. I'm about to say I don't. I don't do math in my head. <laughs> I've always had trouble doing numbers. You got your phone out there. You're hitting the. So, so forty to one. It looks like. 40 to 1. Okay, do you do you think there's a uh, – I know one church, it was interesting. They actually had a um, – I can't remember if it was in the bylaws or anything like that, but they had a – it was almost like it should have been a rule that they had to have a certain amount of elders per, per members to make sure that they had a sufficient coverage of care for, for their people. Um, do you think that's something we should worry about or, or?
0: – Yeah, I think it's a great idea. We tend to do it more – Um, organic than that uh, Mm -hmm. because we spend so much time as elders thinking about the health of our sheep praying for them you know we spend probably two hours of our elder meeting every month praying for the needs of of individuals not just kind of going through the the roster Uh, um, and our shepherds really are shepherds it doesn't take long as we grow to realize okay We need uh, we need to look for another elder or two because we we don't have the capacity. So we kind of let that happen naturally. But I wouldn't be opposed at all if someone proposed, hey, you know what? Let's set up this rule that for every every time we get forty more people, we're going to add another elder or something like that.
1: Right. What about deacons? Do you do you think there's a you know? it, It used to be back when I was a kid, a lot of churches I went to, there was one pastor and some some pastoral staff. Um, and then they had a huge amount of deacons, but it seems like here on the west coast, deacons are something that's in short supply. I'm not sure if there's a cultural issue there, but um, uh, I sometimes see some churches that have more elders than they have deacons. Is there a uh, is there a, a, a ratio a balance that should be there for that? Because if we're if we're making sure that we have enough um, coverage, you know, f- for the spiritual care of of, of the, the the flock, uh, are we are we being negligent and making sure that there's not diaconal care also if we're not uh, putting in enough elders? Mm-hmm. And, maybe, yeah. maybe, and why, why the shortage, too? Why do you think there's a shortage? If you're not—you uh, I mean, may not be seeing it, but—, but.
0: Well, we have two deacons, okay. so we do have a shortage in that sense. Uh, part of that is I cannot figure out biblically what a deacon is supposed to do. Okay. Right? So uh, there's clearly an office there. But what's their job description? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I I don't have a clue. What I, I'm not convinced that the Act Six uh, mm. that that's a parallel. Um, yep. Nowhere does the Bible make that uh, connection that uh, the apostles are, you know, compared to elders, and the uh, the seven are compared right. with deacons. Right. Maybe could be the case so for the temporal needs we our small groups handle those first first round so you're mm-hmm. anytime there's a uh, a temporal need the, the small group dives in and then they will bring the deacons in where necessary and when somebody comes and asks for money then the deacons have charge of that uh, but that's it, it is an interesting question and yeah. we haven't found the right answer altogether as far as what role the deacon is supposed to, to serve yeah. So if you've got you got the answer uh, no, let me know I, w- I would
1: I would be uh, Pretty much where you're at, as far as, for instance, I think sometimes that it, uh, it's a mistake when when pastors are uh, w- when scripture texts that talk about the office of the apostles is applied to pastors. Mm-hmm. There's some confusion, I think, that goes on there, and I think that um, the the Acts six passage, it, we're not. I don't want to throw too much weight on that as being a diaconal passage either, Mm -hmm. but we clearly see in the pastoral epistles uh, something called a deacon, and we're the—we're the the qualifications are very similar to that of a mm-hmm. pastor so we're just
0: not told what they're supposed to do uh,
1: yeah so, <laughs> so uh we just give them duties and say you do this and <laughs> yeah I, and he, really I, a diaconal is a servant and so you know what does a servant do and um is it different than the serving that the pastor does the shepherding that he does so uh, what 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 would be the differences i guess you is, is a place to start And uh, what we know, we got more details on what a pastor does, what a shepherd does, and so what? Maybe what uh, what other things does a pastor not do that is serving, uh, that is needed? Maybe I don't know. I don't know.
0: I don't know. Well, I think the one principle I would be comfortable drawing from Acts six is the apostles there saying, "We know that our calling is the word and prayer. That's that's got to be where we focus," and there is a similarity for elders. You know, we're to be teachers, we're to be protecting the flock, and that kind of thing. And how do you feed them? How do you do that? Well, a lot of it has to do with preaching and teaching and and uh, praying, for sure. Uh, so, okay, if if there's at least a, a, a wisdom in those who are given that responsibility to not be involved in more of the temporal things, then to say, okay, for deacons, we're going to hand over many of the things. Like, you know— Today in in our day you you almost have to have a building. You were talking last week about how you volunteered to to carry <laughs> mm-hmm. things, to set up and tear down. That's that stuff has to happen. Yeah. You know, in our culture, if you don't have seats for people to sit down in, if you don't have some organization, uh, people visitors are not going to come back. That, that's just the way it is. So for someone in a deacon type role to take charge of set up and tear down and and finance and all that makes sense to me. I just can't go to the scripture and say, boom, here's your job description as a deacon.
1: Okay, got a few more questions about church, but I want to actually jump ahead and ask this one to make sure we get this in because I thought this was be a good one to discuss because I see this actually coming up more and more in discussions in our current climate uh, here in America um, because of its relationship to healthcare and such uh, finances. Uh, so, so this is a question, and this has come this is actually come up from someone recently. There is a Christian man and woman who want to get married and receive medical benefit. They receive medical for benefits for issues that they have, but if they get married, they will no longer qualify for these medical benefits. Is it okay for them to have a ceremony, say vows, have Christian witnesses there, uh, a minister conduct a wedding? I guess they found someone who would conduct a wedding, uh, but never legally get married so that they can retain those benefits.
0: Uh, based on just that information, I would say yes.
1: Okay. Can you qualify that? Because there's there's going to be there's a lot of people who would say that um, even that there's no commitment that's still there. there, there there's there's um, uh, that he could technically walk away. She could talk, technically walk away from the marriage because uh, there's no binding commitment with repercussions or anything like that.
0: Well, Contra- that's true. Or contractual.
1: Or contractual.
0: Yeah, well, they. This I don't think the state should have anything to do with marriage. That's right. right. That's my that. fundamental mm-hmm. principle here. This is not a, a a state thing. This is a God thing. He mm-hmm. created marriage, and so before God, if they take vows and there's there are witnesses and they consummate, then they're married, and uh, their church, you know, their their church eldership should hold them accountable, um, and. Uh, Yeah, I mean, if I'm going to be consistent with my principles that this is not a state thing, then I have to say yes to that. Um, And they're going to give an account before God someday on how they approach that. If they decided several years down the road, oh, we weren't really married. Yes, we did the ceremony. We did everything you described there, but we didn't do it before the state. Well, they will answer to God for that uh, because in his eyes, then they are married. They take vows and uh, and consummate. Um, So again, I would like to see the state get out of the marriage business altogether.
1: Let me reverse that now. Um, This is something else I see, or I've heard of anyways, is people who are married but legally divorce in order for a spouse who is ailing to get benefits uh, for being single, um, lower income because of the the joint income is gone now. um, They they continue their marital relationship, but they get legally divorced. Oh, let, me, let, me, let me go back real quick one time, uh, back to the original case. Is it deceptive, then, for them to put down on any type of um, uh, application, any type of forms, that they are married at that time?
0: I don't think so, because, okay. again, I don't care what the state says about it. Uh-huh. The state is telling us that two men could get married. They can't. In God's right. eyes, that is not a marriage. Right. And so for them to say they're married before God, uh, I, I'm— Wholeheartedly in agreement with that. In the okay. second question you're asking, right. I don't think they should be divorced in any sense. Mm. Um, they should not pr- claim to be divorced uh, mm. in any sense. If they signed a contract and and went the route of the state, then they need to hold true to that, and and they should not give the impression of, of divorce. So I, one way it's fine in my opinion. The other way, I don't I don't like it. I don't like for them to, to even before the state say they're divorced. I don't like the way that looks. I don't. Uh, I think they just need to trust the Lord for. Providing what they what they need there because if they went the state route, they needed to, need to play the game that way.
1: Mm-hmm. You don't think it's uh, de- deceptive to, for instance, the, the reason that they're not getting married is so that they can appear to be single, um, to get to get benefits. The state, yeah, to get benefits. Um, I mean, I could see the position what you're taking, but mm-hmm. in order to deceive, though, it seems that the problem here would be would be that um, that they're claiming to be single in order to get, or that they're not married. They're not recognizing each other before, before uh, the government in order to get uh, benefits. It almost seems something like uh, an Abraham and Sarah situation there. Um, Mm -hmm. Tell them that you're you're not my spouse in order to, uh, to, to in order not to get
0: killed. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I, part of this flows. I just, the, the government has so overreached in getting involved in these things. Um, I mean the fact that you can do in most States now, Mm -hmm. you know, no fault divorce uh, as quick as you want to, Mm -hmm. uh, and get in God's eyes, that does not mean you're divorced simply because you go through the state's process is going to divorce. Um, so uh, I'm moving more and more towards saying I really don't care about the state and what it has to say about marriage. I care what God says. Right. And if it's to my advantage um, to do it that way, uh, you know, I haven't I haven't thought deeply about this, but my first instinct here is I, uh, that's almost just being wise as serpents, it, it seems to me in some ways. You know, if you can file taxes jointly, or if it's better for you to file uh, independent, what, isn't that all kind of in the same conversation?
1: I have a guy do it for
0: me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, these are uh, hard things no doubt yeah, about it yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. and nobody should take my word for it you need to go before the Lord and, and seek other counsel as well right. I just my foundational principle is the state has no business getting involved in marriage okay. and therefore I'm not overly concerned with what the state thinks about any of this
1: yeah if, if, he, if the state got out of the marriage business there would be a lot less drama going on right now um, right In our society, Um, a lot less um, uh, conflicts and, and yeah, it would would diffuse an incredible amount of Mm -hmm. chaos going on right now. Okay, go back to church a little bit here. Um, Women, here's a hot topic. Uh, Women, should they lead music? Uh, How much are they permitted to lead during church assembly? Uh, Should they teach men like in Sunday school classes? That's a couple. yeah, things.
0: that is that is a hot button issue. Um, uh, it seems to me like the scripture is clear on uh, on one thing about women in uh, the the church gathering, and that is they're not allowed to teach or have authority over men. Um, and I, I see those two as related. I think the the authority there in in First Timothy two is related to their teaching. Um, so in our church, for example, uh, we just, we don't let women preach and teach on Sunday morning. Uh, we don't let women lead small groups. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they can speak up and they can, they can share their, their thoughts and things, but there's, uh, we have sanctioned our small group leaders as extensions of the elders, uh, in one sense, they're not, they're not required to meet all the qualifications. They're not elders, but we meet with them, and uh, and we want them to implement, to teach, you know, uh, kind of as uh, as envoys for the elders. So therefore, we wouldn't let a, a woman do that unless it was an all-women's group. Uh, as far as the other things, it, it seems pretty clear to me that the, uh, the Bible expects for women to pray and prophesy in front mm-hmm. of the whole body. Mm-hmm. That's where 1 Corinthians 11, he says, Paul says they have to have covering. Uh, you can't really do praying, and certainly can't do prophesying without speaking out. You know, you can mm-hmm. pray in your heart, but you can't prophesy in your heart. So it appears as though it, 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 it's not simply, they can't say anything right. in a public gathering. But they're they have to have their head covered, whatever whatever that means. They're, they, they you know that's a whole other episode as well. Um, <laughs> so I don't think it. I don't think women are never allowed to say anything right. in the public gathering, but they are not allowed to expound scripture in mm-hmm. an authoritative way, uh, as as I do when I'm when I'm preaching. So, for instance, you know we will we we partner with a, uh, a pregnancy center in uh, in Colorado Springs here. And so every year, we will let their president come in and share for 15 minutes what's going on with the pregnancy center. She does that uh, during the sermon type. Now, actually, it's not a she anymore, but when it was a she, I had no problem inviting her up and saying, tell us the details of what's been accomplished. And and of course, she's going to throw in there, God made babies in the image of God and all those things. Mm -hmm. But she has no authority over over our people when she does that. You know, there is. Man. They are not under any spiritual obligation to believe what she says, or uh, she can't hold them accountable. Right. So I don't have any problem with with allowing a woman to speak on on those things. But if we're doing a sermon on the sanctity of life, it's not going to be a, a woman doing it. It's going to be right. one of the elders, or or me, or or a man. Um, as far as like a music director, uh, I I don't see any reason biblically to to say that has to be man only, even if she's exhorting with the Word of God, uh, if if she's calling to attention, hey, you know, this verse that we're going to sing, and this verse speaks to what we're about to sing. Again, Mm -hmm. there's no authority there. There's no, you have to believe me or else kind of thing. When I preach, if someone doesn't agree with what I say, and they can't show me from the Scripture, then they're violating, you know, elder authority. Now, if they can show me from Scripture, again, it's not because it's me speaking it's because i'm expounding the scripture there's a certain element of authority there and where where we as elders say you can't commit those sins and go down that path they need to submit to that jesus or the the new testament says obey your authorities mm-hmm. when a woman is is giving verbal ex uh, exhortations and calling us to think about this when we worship and sing i don't see that as authoritative at all um, I've seen guys say plenty of things, <laughs> even in my own church. Like, yeah, okay, uh, that's yeah. not exactly where what the truth there. So we don't we don't present that role as an authoritative role, and for her to oversee the men who play instruments and who sing. Uh, again, I don't I don't see a violation of that at all because the the restriction is uh, authoritative teaching, praying, prophesying, that kind of thing. All
1: right, let me let me get to this one. Um, this is a a. Political thing too, but but I, I don't want to take it into the political direction necessarily. I want to take it into a a how to think Christian direction. Um, it's it's a a question that's getting asked a lot nowadays. Is how should Christians think about the U.S. southern border issue? Not politically, but spiritually. We can we can talk a little bit about politics, but uh, what should our attitude be toward the migrants as well?
0: I don't know how you separate this from the political issue. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we really are wearing both hats. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can't help but wear both hats. We yeah. are, first and foremost, our citizenship is in heaven, but we are American citizens. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think our attitude toward the, the migrants has to be, our first concern is to preach the gospel. Yeah. You know, regardless of their situation, um, even if you come to the conclusion, what of their sins is coming into this country <laughs> illegally, Right, they need forgiveness for that sin, mm-hmm. and our first priority should be preach the gospel. Yeah. Um, now, love for my neighbor, and this gets back to the political discussion we had some time ago. Mm-hmm. Love for my neighbor requires me to think through what are the long-term ramifications of open borders and illegal immigration. Um, and I think you know, there's there's a, a the nation by definition, Act 17. Nation by definition has boundaries. Mm-hmm. And to enforce those boundaries as a nation, I don't think is a violation of love and those kind of things. But we have to be careful. We, we have to make sure that we don't get so ramped up watching Fox News or, or <laughs> President Trump or, you know, whatever, whatever we love to, to, to get our news from and make this the highest issue in our mind, right. uh, as some Americans are doing. At the same time, we can't just ignore... The, the ramifications uh, for for our neighbors. So I would say first priority has to be the gospel. We have to love these people and not consider them arch enemy number one, if mm-hmm. you have a very strong political view here. But to be ignorant of the political uh, and American impact, I, I think that's, it's hard to justify that and say, I love my neighbor and I care about uh, the people I should care about. So it's tough, um, but it starts with the gospel.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and... It, you know, I, I, I have I have strong political views on on that situation, but I also have strong spiritual views as far as for the souls of these individuals. Um, and and a strong political view on it doesn't negate the uh, the the responsibility that we have to proclaim the gospel to anyone we come in contact with. And even though it's a situation which I I, I think should be uh, changed, um, I think borders should be more secure. Um, I'm going to use that opportunity to speak to anyone who God providentially brings across the border to proclaim the gospel to them. Um, I, I mean, I mean, you, you have um, people who came to Israel as bad guys, and God used them. God used them to 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 uh, to uh, correct Israel. Um, and uh, I think as they come across the border illegally, they shouldn't be doing that. But since they're here, I'm going to try to tell them the gospel, to love them, um, and then encourage them to go home. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, uh, well, I would say it this way. Um, our encouragement is obey the law. Yeah. yeah. right. That is a clear biblical principle right. to submit to the authorities. Right. If you're here illegally and you're a Christian, that should bother right. you. Right. that you are violating the laws of the land and that right. kind of thing and, and we we're not anti-christian to tell people you need to submit to the law that's yep. that's part of it but our first concern before we tell you that is we want to t- call you to christ right. i have a good friend who is a hispanic pastor here in colorado springs and he this is very real for him because he knows that some of the folks in his congregation are here illegally
1: mm-hmm.
0: he hears the story of what they will go back to mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and he is conflicted. He really is, yeah. because you know he tells his yeah. people you need you need to go through the right processes. You need to learn the language. You need to to not uh, violate the the culture you're in. And yet, for him to push them back, especially these women and children, yeah. send them back to places where uh, some of them he's convinced they will be killed if they go back. You know, how does he, in good conscience, say mm-hmm. go back there and and die for that? It, it's it, it's a very real, very tough yeah. uh, tough thing. I think we also have to be very careful not to be caught up in the rhetoric of the media and politicians. You know, if we think that we can trust either of those voices as as a sound reason and that they are thinking th- things on principle, we're, we're fooling ourselves. Yeah. Um, and it's so easy to do to get caught up on, on any side of this.
1: Right, right. And
0: again, our first concern is the gospel. Second concern is, okay, it does matter that you obey the laws of the land yeah. and to have those conversations as brothers in Christ, as opposed to as Americans who are inflamed by the right or the left or whatever.
1: Right. One last question for you before we wrap this up, and this is going to be a, a one that's uh, actually being discussed a lot in, in, in uh, uh, Christian circles these days. And it's the one about gay Christians. Um, it's, is there such a thing as a gay Christian? There's the idea that's being propagated that um, you can be a gay Christian as long as you don't act upon those impulses or those, those sinful desires. Um, what, is, what are your thoughts on that? Because there's a lot of discussion about whether or not you can be a Christian without renouncing homosexuality and um, without mortifying the flesh. Um, there's some who are saying that you can be a Christian, confess that you're gay, call yourself a gay Christian, and live a celibate life because you know, you're still attracted to, 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 to men and don't worry about changing that. Or women, depending on, on your gender, um, that 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 you just have to live a celibate life and and get through it. Um, in fact, uh, there's a lot who are starting to call these the the uh, uh, spiritual eunuchs, um, uh, referencing Christ about uh, being a unit for the kingdom's sake. What are your thoughts on that?
0: absolutely there's no such thing as a gay christian Mm -hmm. and i that is a very dangerous path for people to go down and it's a capitulation to our culture Mm -hmm. uh so homosexuality is a gross and heinous sin that the scripture lays out very clearly Mm -hmm. if you live this way you will not inherit the kingdom of god right also on that list is adultery Mm -hmm. right? right so i'm married and i look out my window here and there are several houses and suppose i said to somebody There are four gorgeous women who live in those four houses down there. And I can't get my mind off of them. And I lust after them constantly. And man, I would love to have sex with all four of those women. And I think about it all the time. Now, I have to remain celibate. But I'm an adulterous Christian. Mm -hmm. I just, I can't act on it. We would, nobody would ever tolerate that. Mm -hmm. Everybody would say, I must rid myself of those thoughts it's not okay to have them it's not okay to call myself an adulterous christian it's not okay to to think that uh, uh you know that's that's how i was designed that's how i'm born that's how i am but i just i i can't act on it but that's really who i am that's that's my identity no no, no. my identity is in christ period and as soon as you add anything mm-hmm. yeah before the word christian you have left the biblical truth we're christian or we're not christian those are the only two options there's no modifier of the word Christian, hmm. and sin is sin. And to bring that into the discussion, uh, the, only, the only place for gayness and lesbian and homo you know, LBGD, uh, whatever, all the letters, things, the only right response is, those things are abhorrent to God, we are not allowed to pursue them in any way, in our mind, in our actions, whatever... We must run from them, repent of them, and their forgiveness. Those are not the unpardonable sins. In uh, 1 Corinthians 6, where these things are laid out, I love the verse where Paul says, such were some of you. Mm -hmm. There is hope, there's redemption, and that should be our appeal. But uh, someone who says, I'm a gay Christian, cannot say, such was I. I still am, I'm just not acting on it. No, no, that's not how it works. So we should have nothing to do with the idea of a gay Christian, lesbian Christian, uh, those are sexually abhorrent sins, uh, along with adultery and uh, promiscuity. We have to get rid of.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. I like your uh, phrase there. That's a, be a, a good tag. There is there's no modifier before the word Christian. Yeah, and I, that goes in a lot of different directions too. How we try to, because uh, if we do that, even even in um, not references to sin, but if but in any other ways, we we can we start chopping the the the, the body into pieces. Uh, when Christ came to make one body uh, breaking down all barriers and such uh, race um, backgrounds and stuff like that we all become one body in Christ they're Christians and there's not these different types and there certainly aren't uh, unclean types of Christians as, 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 as sinful lifestyle Christians involved in there so I well, did a
0: sermon series on this uh, yeah, last you did. fall and four, I'll link four that weeks here and- <laughs> yeah, somebody might uh, benefit from watching that.
1: Yeah, you did uh, three three messages, I think, on that, right? Four, yeah, four, four. Okay, all right, four. So uh, I'll I'll put the link in here too to that as well, in case uh, folks want to dive in deeper to that. Um, that was some good stuff there. Um, we're gonna wrap it up unless you have a question that you'd like to ask yourself.
0: no 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 stump i can stump myself yes i know the questions i can't answer very well yeah i know
1: (laughs) the ones you hope that nobody asks you right (laughs) i'm still studying those (laughs) all right well folks we appreciate you being here um if you have any questions you can contact me at the link in the uh show notes here at chris at crosstocrown.org until next time have a great week And we want to keep encouraging you to intentionally live Christ-obsessed in all things. Goodbye.